I've only felt this way one other time, which is when Taylor, our CEO, teaches the credit union PhD class. But as you were talking about um, you and Albrecht about Luis McCarran and like, what were they talking about on the drive? And then the fact that your company's been around uh, 90 years as well and was literally started right after the signing. It's like, to me, it's like, man, they need to make a movie about this stuff and like show Luis going into like these steel mills and telling him about this opportunity and the adversity I imagine she must have faced of some people looking at her like, what are you doing in here? Why would I listen to you about money? And then she's coming in and giving them opportunity to make their life better. It's like, man, this needs to be a movie. And if it was a movie, yeah. imagine how much that would help advocacy. So you you are a storyteller when you talked about that and then the challenge that we're at now and the yeah. solution, get stuff done. Go talk to people, persistence. Yeah, motivating. You're listening to the Credit Union Leadership Podcast, a podcast that delivers value and offers up insight that'll help your credit union grow. ServiceStar has been consulting with credit unions for over 20 years, growing them in the areas of cultural development, leadership development, and management training. To learn more about what ServiceStar can do for you or your credit union, check them out at servicestarconsulting.com. Today we get to talk to my good friend, friend of the podcast, friend of ServiceStar Consulting, Emily Lighting, Scott Anderley. I am jacked. Yeah, the stuff we talk about today, it's informational, inspiring with what she talked about at the I-48 conference of some of the numbers that is pretty hopeful and exciting. And then she also gives us four elements to advocacy that we're going to implement. So this is really good stuff. Let's go ahead and get this started, right? Let's go. Emily Lighty is presently the Chief Advocacy Officer at the Ohio Credit Union League with nearly a decade of state and federal credit union advocacy experience. She leads the development, alignment, and implementation of the Ohio League's mission and strategic goals in advocacy, marketing, and communications to promote, protect, and advance Ohio credit unions. Lighty serves as the Ohio po uh, Poverty Law Center and Habitat for Humanity of Ohio Boards of Directors. She also serves as the member of American Association of Credit Union Leagues Advocacy Commitment, uh, Committee, a member of America's Credit Union Subcommittee on Consumer Protection, and directs and collaborates on Ohio League-affiliated boards and committees, including the Political Action Committee's board and the Advocacy Action Committee. She is also an active member in Ohio Women in Government and serves on the Ohio Lobbying Association's Foundation Scholarship Committee. Prior to even joining the Ohio Credit Union League, Lighty served five years as a legislative aide in the Ohio Senate and Ohio House of Representatives. She holds a public administration, political science, pre-law, and history bachelor's degree from Capital University, earned a master of public administration degree from Ohio University, and received a business management essential certificate from Cornell University. That is quite the journey, Emily. When you hear that, what thoughts are going through your head? I must really love credit unions. I must really love advocacy. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Can you tell me about that? That journey of how did you fall in love with advocacy and how did that lead to credit unions? That's a great question, Scott. One of my favorite books of all time is To Kill a Mockingbird mm. by Harper Lee. And I was so impressed and it just stayed with me. Uh, the character of Atticus Finch and trying to stand up for what is right uh, for those that can't, um, don't know 
or don't have access to do so. And so that's always stayed with me throughout my early education years, throughout college. You can see that in the course of study I decided to pursue and really followed me into my professional career as I left college and decided what do I want to do with my life? And I wanted to do good things. I wanted to make a positive difference and see that difference happen. And so fortunately, a internship sort of gave me my inroad into the Ohio State House and my you know, first roles uh, serving a, a district uh, legislatively and from a policy and constituent services standpoint. And um, it felt really good to solve problems for everyday people that were just calling for somebody to help them. They had no other choice. And so they called our legislative office and said, can you do anything to help? And and oftentimes we could. And so I felt really good about what I was doing, um, even if maybe sometimes the political environment can be challenging. And when the opportunity to work for credit unions came up in a uh, job postings where I spotted it, I thought, wow, I, you know, I've been a part of credit unions pretty much my whole life. I grew up in Northeast Ohio and uh, the Rust Belt, uh, old steel mill town. And, um, you know, credit unions were so important to the people living there and the local economy. And so I have deep admiration, admiration for them since I was younger. And I thought I would feel good about trying to champion their interests in Ohio using my connections and knowledge at the state house to make a difference for them because they make a difference for people every day. And so sort of fell into the Ohio Credit Union League in 2015. And I've been here ever since and um, and growing in responsibility and, uh, you know, my efforts to champion what credit unions need here in Ohio. And then, of course, working with my peers nationally to do so in D.C. as well. Man, that's some cool stuff. And I'm hearing a theme and Albrecht, maybe you can speak to this too, but it sounds like something that's really important to you, Emily, is this idea of people helping people, which is something you did. And it was like a full circle moment of the credit unions need your help, right? Could you like, was there a specific moment? Like you saw that an opening for a job, but was there like something where you realized, oh, wow, they actually, like, I have a value, something I can actually give credit unions that I thought credit unions had already, but you saw like, I can fill this void and really help them out. Sure. It's a great question too. Uh, Honestly, I don't think I really felt like there was a a specific moment other than when I had been working, you know, I was a, when I entered the league, I was a state level lobbyist, essentially working on the legislative and political work that the league did on behalf of the membership. I didn't really focus on the federal policy as much at the time my boss was doing that. And I remember we were pursuing just a legislative bill to allow credit unions um, to partner with the state to help small businesses get access to affordable capital. Mm. Um, Credit unions were not uh, permitted to partner with credit or with the state or public entities from a public funds perspective in Ohio. And um, that's still standing law, which we've um, been able to chip away over time here in, in our state over the last nine years I've been here, which is helpful and exciting to see. But Um, What it showed me was, wow, you know, this is a really no brainer kind of common sense way to help small businesses in a local community through a financial institution, a credit union right down the street that is so ready and so willing to help them do more. And uh, we were able to finally get um, that bill passed. And that's when I saw, wow, you know, we can really make a difference for credit unions. And I say we because it's a team effort here. It's not one person does all the things. And so, you know, as a team, we were able to open up a door for credit unions to help more small businesses and communities 
And that felt really good. And so what else can we do since we got this one under our belt, right? What what else is next, right? You're always thinking next in advocacy. And so that's what really um, caught me um, up with credit unions was, wow, you know, we can do this. We can make a better world through them. And we're here to do that. And what a privilege. Yeah, it's, it's a journey that started in, in the 1920s. And we're we're super excited to have you on on the podcast. I I I, I honor you kind of like a, a Louise Herring uh, of of the 21st century, uh, and it's it's Women Histories Month. So we're talking a little bit about women in leadership and, and the credit union movement. Can you can you touch on Louise McCarran Herring and her impact on credit unions, similar to how you're impacting credit unions today? Absolutely. Well, first I'll say, I don't think I'm the Louise McCarran Herring yet, but I strive to live her example and live her purpose and live her mission and vision that she set out in the 1920s to do every single day. It's a constant, uh, are we measuring up? Are the next generation, the emerging leaders in the movement now today, and even the ones that are currently uh, leading the movement forward, are we measuring up to the strong example she set so long ago? And, uh, you know, her remarkable story is really she was a young woman in Ohio and chartered more than 500 credit unions in her lifetime. And could you imagine in the, you know, 1920s, 1930s, you know, women didn't have um, a lot of social equity in society. They just got the right to vote in, in early 1920s. They um, you know, weren't necessarily working outside of the home. Um, they didn't have as much economic or decision-making power. And here's this young woman who believes so deeply in democratic financial access that she went out and told everybody. It could have been a big manufacturing plant, a steel steel plant, like I mentioned from my hometown. It could have been anything, knowing that people needed a help and that concept of self-help um, was so apparent to her. She was so passionate about that. And she used it to make this big impact. And, and they call her the mother of credit unions for a reason, because she truly was. And I think it's on all of us to live that example and try to reach that example now in the future. Uh, same con- conversations. The economy was in a bad spot. People were struggling to get access to affordable financial services. It was hard to make life work and meet kitchen table realities. And credit unions were really born out of that. They came out of a really difficult situation, an idea that we'll help ourselves because we know each other. We care about our community and we are just as deserving of the same financial access that anybody else has. And so we're going to take matters into our own hands. And I think that that is parallel to what's happening today. You know, we're in a high interest rate environment. Uh, We have uh, economic volatility. Um, Delinquency, especially in credit cards, is increasing. So, you know, people are relying on credit uh, to make things work because life is expensive. And so what are credit unions doing today to be who they were almost 100 years ago, right? The Federal Credit Mm -hmm. Union was signed into law in June of 1934. So we're getting ready to celebrate 90 years of that. Um, very soon, which is remarkable if you think about it. And so what does the next 90 years look like for credit unions? How are we innovating, modernizing, and meeting the challenge that is set by Louise McCarran-Herring and all the other trailblazers? Ed Filene is another one. How do we meet that challenge today? And so that's um, really what I try to focus on is how can we be the Louise McCarran-Herring of today? And there's some... 
so much gold there, right? So the, I love the the kitchen table needs uh, quote. Scott, we'll have to put that up front. That was a great one. Um, she got on a train to St. Estes Park, Colorado. Estes Park, Colorado is where all of the credit union founders and and the the doers of the credit union world they had to they had two three days to come up with the National Credit Union Act and. Uh, I just, I, I'm trying to think of what the conversation sounded like when they picked her up. <laughs> when the train went through, probably Cleveland. I'm mm-hmm. guessing she probably had to drive up to Cleveland or I don't know. They've been her Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati. Like, yeah. 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 And so, uh, and so get on the train and, and, and that, that long train ride down to Colorado. I'm, I'm guessing there was a lot of talk about who is. <laughs> who is this chick from Ohio that we've heard so much about, right? Like I, 500 credit unions. Mm-hmm. And you talked about like one income households and, and, and the 21st century reality that you're advocating for is one of, we've got two income families that still are struggling. Like, could you imagine like the disparity between 1920 and 1924? Like we feel like we have it better but I would argue it's not as good because we have two income households on average and we're still struggling to to make ends meet. And so the need for credit unions might even be more. Uh, and the need for women in this movement might even be more because a lot of the sole income earners or uh, single income earners are women uh, that are supporting families. So how are how are women maximizing the difference in this movement how have you seen that in your in your field of view uh, i see a couple components to women in leadership in general and then it really transcends down to the credit unions themselves too it could be applicable in any industry but especially in ours you know we have a lot of women leadership you know louise mccarran herring is the mother of all credit unions um the mother of credit unions she was the first managing director here at the Ohio Credit Union League. She helped form the Ohio Credit Union League in September of 1934. So we are also turning 90 years old in September. You know, we've been a part of the movement since day one, women have, right? And it's only grown from there. And so I think that the value early on was that, you know, the um, diversity of perspective that women can bring um, the background, their experiences, you know, help with enriching decision-making processes and helps with creativity and innovation. How are we helping women go to work if that's what they choose to do or stay home if that's what they choose to do and still make sure that they are taken care of and so are their families? Um, that might be daycare. That might be um, caring for a sick parent, um, which a lot of in the sandwich generation are starting to do now. And, and so, you know, women have that perspective that they can bring to the table and it helps draw creativity on how are we solving for these new realities, those kitchen table realities I mentioned earlier. Women are a part of that equation. Collaboration and consensus building. Uh, women, I think, are really diplomatic. Um, you know, I sound very biased when I'm talking about women generally, but, you know, they work to build consensus and collaborative environments because that's what a household is. That's what a work environment is. It's just what we do. Um, we try to make sure everybody is taken care of and that they have what they need to be successful. And so that can, you know, bringing that to the table can help bring more inclusive and effective decision-making. Um, emotional intelligence, um, you're able to identify 
and lead with empathy and interpersonal skills, um, which help build strong relationships, motivating teams and resolving conflicts, which is leadership 101. And in any business, you're going to run into that uh, transformational leadership. You know, women um, inspire and empower others to get involved and achieve their full potential. Um, I think it's less so now than it used to be for like my mother's generation. She was a, a boomer. I hate the label boomer. I think it's unfair at times, but honestly, my mom's generation, um, you know, they broke the glass. They, you know, help open the door for women like me. And, you know, we have a responsibility to do that for the women of the future too. Those emerging leaders that we're talking to today, um, resilience and adaptability. You have to be able to navigate challenges and setbacks, uh, which is so crucial when things change so rapidly, which they are today. And in an unpredictable business environment, which we know we're all experiencing mentorship and support, you know, women want to prioritize that, um, fostering a culture of growth, development, and empowerment uh, within their organizations. They just do. And authenticity and vulnerability. You have to be true to yourself. You have to be open to allowing others to feel safe, um, fostering trust and authenticity with teams, you know, helps create a, 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 a an environment that those can that people can embrace, that they feel that they're included in. And then again, that that concept of inclusive leadership, you know, they do champion the principles of diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, just because they feel like they might be living some of it um, because they're going through it personally, right? And um, I think that um, reminding ourselves that people with diverse backgrounds should feel valued, respected, and included, especially at the decision-making table. So you you gave us a list of of things that are that women are bringing to the to the movement. It's their opportunity and responsibility to mm-hmm. enrich the movement with these these component parts. So if if I'm listening, uh, and I'm a, I'm a woman, um, it's about it's about stepping up and stepping in and and being confident in these abilities. These are unique abilities. And if I'm Emily and I'm listing that list off, like me. I'm guessing there's names that are kind of popcorning in your mind of people that you've seen living these values out. And, you know, Scott Anderley, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I'm pretty sure we're going to interview somebody for Women's History Month next year. So, Emily, it'd be so fun if you picked the next person that we interview. Like, who are lists of women that you admire in this great industry? Oh, gosh. Well, Louise McCarran Herring, first and foremost, um, a former league staffer here at the Ohio League, Becky Hart, uh, who is a legend in Ohio in her own right, um, has done tremendous, had did tremendous work at the Ohio Cardi Union League. She has since left us, um, both uh, the organization and here. Uh, she passed away in 2016. Uh, but we very much uh, speak to Becky and her example literally every day. Um, so she is somebody I deeply admire. I admire the women in Ohio leading credit unions. More about 40% of our CEOs are women, um, which is really cool and really special. And we spoke to that at our convention last year. Um, it's called I-48 or Invest 48 for uh long term. And uh you invest 48 hours with us and you get all these amazing opportunities to develop and be informed and collaborate and network and find your next partner with us here in Ohio. And uh, we did a women in leadership panel and we had um, so many women that joined us for that conversation. And I wanted them to know, you know, tell us how many women do you think are leading? What percentage of the CEOs in Ohio are women? And they were shocked that it was like 40%. And so 
Those women are incredible. They do incredible work every single day. And I admire every single one of them for the difference that they're making in their community. Um, I would also say, you know, there's a lot of league presidents um, that I deeply admire that are that are women. Uh, some are newer to the movement. Some are more seasoned. And uh, I admire the work that they're doing for their state leagues and uh, their credit unions in their states. And, you know, with the changes at America's Credit Unions, you know, we're going to have a woman uh, and Carrie Hunt lead advocacy into the future for the entire movement across the country. And that's really exciting to me. So, you know, there are women out there doing the great work and they're the ones I look up to. And I I would name them all, but um, there's so many that um, I don't want to, right? That I think that, uh, you know, look at the people that are doing things nationally and they should be your next target because I'm sure they have something really incredible and fascinating to share too. I know they do. And I like your tactics. See, when I've been to Invest 48, I love Invest 48. If you're in the state of Ohio and you're listening to the podcast, you should go to Invest 48. We did not get paid to say that. It's a really cool conference. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's like, I don't want to put anybody else down, but I've been to a lot of conferences. It's one of the best conferences I've ever been to. And it's a, it's a league conference. It's, a, it's, it's an elite thing. You're not, you, your expectations will be exceeded by going to this conference. And you have a way of using numbers to tell a story. And you did that on stage with those women. You said, like, mm-hmm. what percentage do you think uh, are, are women-owned credit unions, women-ran credit unions? So I'd like to use numbers to our advantage with the listener. Can you tell me a little bit about why advocacy is so important? Oh, absolutely. I do want to know, too, um, Scott, in women I admire, maybe outside of credit unions, it's connected to advocacy, is also those women serving in office that we have the pleasure of working with. And so in Congress, 25 out of 50 U.S. senators are women. So 50 percent. Pretty cool. That's really and out of five or out of 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives, 126 are women. So about 30 percent of the U.S. House are also women elected to office. And this is Democrats and Republicans and independents. It's regardless of party. It's just women. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't note that there are also women of color serving in Congress. Eight are uh, identify as Asian American and Pacific Islander, 28 identify as Black, 18 identify as Latina, one identifies as Middle Eastern slash North African, two identify as Native American, and 73 identify as white. And so when you look at those numbers, you think, wow, 50% in the Senate, 30% in the House, that's really incredible. Women have come far, you know, have come far. Where mm-hmm. we're at the decision-making table and in the Senate, we're 50% there, which is really incredible when you think about it. But um, there's still a lot of work to be done to be make that more inclusive, right? 73 are white, the rest are not. And so how are we making sure that more diversity is present in decision-making offices to make sure that that collaborative uh, piece uh, that I mentioned and that inclusive decision-making is present at the top echelons of our decision-making, which is public policy at the federal level. So uh, I do want to make sure I note that, that there is more work to be done here, but I love that women have come as far as they have, and now we need to make sure that they go further. I like like it. And advocacy is one of those things that I was, I was naive on, right. In, in my career early on, I didn't, I I honestly didn't know that we, we, there was lobbyists. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what a lobbyist was. You know, you hear about them in the news and 
Uh, I don't know that that the, the picture I had of a lobbyist was a positive one. Like you know, like what, <laughs> what is this thing called lobbying <laughs> for one thing or another, right? And so, yeah. going to Invest Forty Eight helped me understand it's critically important. So, tell me, t- talk a little bit about why somebody at the Ohio State House should have somebody in their ear fighting for credit unions. Why? Why is the why is that important? Absolutely. So I'll touch on those numbers I just mentioned, Scott, at a high level. So there's 535 members of Congress, that's 435 House of Representative members and 100 U.S. senators, right? So four or 535 total. Each state legislature has their own makeup and constructs. And so each state legislature looks a little bit different. So we have 535 at the top. If you wanted to go to Ohio, we have 132 members in our general assembly. That's what we call our state legislature. 99 of them are in the House and 33 are in the Ohio Senate. And so you have roughly about 660 some odd members um, at the federal level and at the state level, just in Ohio, making decisions that impact every Ohioan. There's about 11 million Ohioans. 3.2 of them belong to a credit union. So a, fourth of the, a third of the state's population, roughly. Um, one fourth, one third belong to a credit union. We're proud of that. Uh, but credit unions, there's 213 or so in Ohio um, out of the 4,800, I think, nationally. So 4,800 credit unions, 213 in Ohio. How many other businesses are operating in America nationally? Like millions, right? And how many businesses are operating in the state of Ohio? Thousands, easily. Uh, they all have their own trades too, right? Just like the credit unions do. And so how are 660 some odd members elected to office supposed to know everything about the credit unions and all the other thousands and millions of businesses operating? Because that's what they're doing every single day. And the only way to get your message heard and have somebody understand what it is you need as a credit union is to participate in advocacy. And that's telling them how credit unions operate, what they do, and how the government can help them better serve people, families, businesses, and communities. And it's Advocacy 101. I walked away from my first conversation with you wanting to do more in this in this realm of advocacy. So how can how can we help? How can the listener help? What what's needed in this in this realm? Like how do we get involved in advocacy? Sure. Well, step number one is have a passion for what you're doing and what you care about. So identify your passion. What do you feel strongly about in your credit union? Right. If we're talking credit union advocacy specifically, what gets you going every day and what are you excited to do more of? That's your passion. So understand what you care about. Do some research. Understand the issue that you're passionate about. It's history, it's status, the key stakeholders involved in that, and the existing advocacy efforts that are going on. You also engage existing organizations that care about those same things. And so there's lots of advocacy groups and nonprofit organizations. There's literally a nonprofit for nonprofits, right? Like they have a committee for the committee for the committees, right? And mm-hmm. so you want to make sure that you identify those organizations that are doing that work and care about those same things that align with your interests. And I would say your state credit union league and America's credit unions right there are two natural partners in the advocacy process that care about the same things that credit unions and their leaders care about, period. And they often we often do have established campaigns. We have resources you can contribute. We have information that goes out. 
listen to it, read it. I know it's another email. I know it's another newsletter. I know I also bury it at the bottom of my inbox and catch up on Fridays like everybody else does, but it is important. It helps inform and tells you the dynamics that are going on. And maybe it's something you really care about. You're like, hey, I can help here. I know something I can help here. So stay educated, um, informed, read the news, read policies, read those developments from all those resources that um, you can get them from. Again, America's Credit Unions or State League. Um, you might have chapters and you have um, a committee uh, leader that um, is a conduit to all of that and can share that information. And so just make sure you keep the effort to deepen your understanding of what you care about. And then you can engage with decision makers, um, you know, contact your elected officials, policymakers and other people to express your views and advocate for specific policies or changes. You are the expert. They are not. Again, they don't know everything about all the millions and thousands of businesses that they meet with every single day. If anybody's been on the Hill or you've seen um, a colleague do it or you see the pictures on social media, you know that you have 15 minutes maybe with that decision maker and then somebody's already out in the hallway ready to go for their next meeting, right? And so yeah. these leaders need you to tell them your story and you are the expert in that room, not that decision maker. It's you. And so you have to be there to tell that story or else somebody else is going to tell it for them that isn't the expert, that isn't you, that isn't a credit union. That's what we don't want to have happen. And you can do this. You don't have to do it in person. It's not storming the hill. It is not going to your state capitol. Of course, that is absolutely part of it. But it can be done through email too. It can be done through phone calls. They love when people call them. They love talking to you. They really do, um, especially when they get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> or those in-person meetings are so important too because they have to, you know, you can engage and you can build a relationship with that decision maker. And your state league and America's Credit Unions absolutely can help you organize that opportunity. This is what we are here for. This is what the team here at the Ohio League does every single day for Ohio Credit Unions. And so you have experts in your state um, that are ready to help you do that important work. I'm going to say this next thing, and I'll say it with a disclaimer, social media, please use it, but use it wisely and understand what you're doing with it. Um, platforms like X, formerly Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn is a great way to amplify messages, um, share information and connect with others who care about the same thing. Again, it is the best and worst thing ever created for human interaction, in my opinion. Yeah. And so when used for good purposes, it really does um, naturally aggregate grassroots around something that matters deeply to a lot of people. And so it is such a good platform for that. You just have to use it wisely and understand the risks that come with it. And last but not least, you have to stay persistent. You just have to stay persistent. Advocacy work can be challenging. It can be long. It could take years to pass a bill. It could take years to try to get a bill almost passed to have it not happen for nothing that you did wrong. And you have to start all over again, which um, I'm sure people that are listening that have a background in advocacy know all too well happens more often than not. But um, you have to stay persistent. Understand progress can be slow. But if you're moving forward and you're creating small victories, make sure you celebrate them, learn from any setbacks or any challenges that you experience along the way, and just keep pushing forward. And that's just good advice, not even just in advocacy, but just in life. That's just how it is. And it's all good. As long as we're moving in the right direction, uh, you're doing something right. And it's okay. That hard work and persistence will pay off. Man, that, that's a lot of stuff right there. And I just kind of want to reiterate some of the stuff you said, Emily, so our listeners really hear it. You talked about one of the challenges 
we face is that you talked about maybe there's 600 representatives representing the credit union movement, but there's also thousands of other industries trying to talk for uh, talk to them 15 minutes before you or 15 minutes after you. They're hearing a lot of different things. And from that, you talked about the solution is we as credit union members, credit union employees, people part of the movement need to get involved in advocacy to let them know what we're about, sharing our story, sharing our mission. And actually, I really connected because at the beginning, you talked about one of the eye-opening moments for you is when you got to help credit unions be able to participate in uh, providing uh, financial resources for smaller businesses in Ohio, right? And like one of the big things I love about the credit union movement is this idea of fighting for dreams. And people in our community, they want to start a local restaurant. They want to start a local shop, right? And they need that opportunity, not from people that don't care about them, but from people that really do. And I think the credit union industry, we provide that service. Could you talk about the story of how that happened and how advocacy played a part in allowing credit unions in Ohio to fund people's dreams? How were people able to be persistent? Maybe they used social media. Maybe they did phone calls or they did the in-person meetings. Um, maybe they were affiliated with a chapter of um, an advocacy group. Could you share of what that actually looked like in that moment? Absolutely. So it's all the you know multi-prong approach of advocacy. You have a legislative element. You'll have a regulatory or legal element to it. You'll have a political element, right? We have political action committees and we have people that we help get elected to understand credit union issues and champion them when they are elected. Um, we also have grassroots and communication and outreach, right? And so that's like another prong of advocacy. So there's like four elements to any good advocacy strategy if it's passing this bill, for example. And so, you know, we identified a gap in the Ohio law that we thought should be closed. And we had credit unions say, hey, it would be great if I could offer this great program to this small business and reduce their interest rate on their loan. But I can't because the law does not allow me. So go change that. Okay, great. Well, you identify a sponsor and you look at somebody who understands credit unions, has a close connection with their local credit union in their district to champion that issue. Then when you go through the legislative process, you have to think about the regulatory implications of what you're going to do. How is this going to change how credit unions operate or how the state operates at a high level? And then you go into the political part. Well, we need to make sure that we're connecting with those individuals and decision-making capacity, committee chairs, committee members, uh, leadership in both chambers and the governor's office, right? Because they're all critical to passing a bill and signing it into law. And so maybe we're going to their events. Maybe we're connecting them at a fundraiser. Maybe we are um, ensuring that if they're in a tough election, that they can keep their seat because they understand credit unions. And that's what we stand up for. Yeah. Uh, and then we activate the credit unions. We reached out to credit unions and asked them, if you have small businesses that are willing to write a letter to say, hey, state representative, uh, state senator, please give me the opportunity to par partner with my credit union. Here's what I'm going to do with that money. I'm going to hire two people and I'm going to expand my business locally. And so I can't do that without getting more affordable capital than what I can get today. And so we had credit unions reach out to their small businesses. We had hundreds of letters um, submitted to the legislature to say, this is so important to me, your constituent um, as a business owner, please let me partner with my credit union. And so we were able over time to chip away at this. And, you know, we had opposition. It was a, 
a turf battle, if you will, with our, our state bankers league. We have a great relationship with them. I can't say enough nice things about the Ohio bankers league. We work very closely with them when we can, but sometimes we will be in different camps and that's okay. Um, and so they're good. Um, and, uh, we had some fierce opposition, but we were able to find a way to passage that sort of worked for everybody. And, you know, it's now been active in the state for quite some time and, and folks are making loans uh, through that program. And then we, it's given us access and us, I mean, the credit unions access to other programs very similarly situated in different, um, different lending arenas. And so we're fortunate um, we were able to get it done, but you know, th- th- that was the whole um, way we got it done was that multi-prong approach of, advocacy. And it starts with the credit unions themselves saying, hey, this needs to be changed because it's not letting me serve my member. And so go do that and we'll help you. And that's exactly how we got it done. Man, powerful. I I love having you here, Emily. I think it's been powerful hearing how you've been inspired to be part of the credit union movement and to keep the legacy going. I love that you have found a need, a challenge where we as a credit union industry need to get better. And you provided us a solution and shown us that it actually works if people follow through. Um, Before we close off, could you repeat those four elements? I know I've got political and legislative in my mind, but I know I'm missing two. And then if you've got any final words for emerging leaders, this is your moment to let them know. Sure. So the four-prong approach would be legislative, political, regulatory, and grassroots. Awesome. That's it. Awesome. And what uh, final words do you have? So my final my final um, advice to emerging leaders is just understand the credit union philosophy. And I know many of them are very passionate about it. And so harness it. Um, continuously learn and development. The best investment you can make is in yourself. And so find ways to get involved, um, exposed to evolving and new technologies, um, stay up to date on industry trends, um, best practices and regulations. All of that will pay off in the long run. Build strong relationships, uh, cultivate them with your colleagues, mentors, industry peers, get out of your bubble and come to Invest48 and be your next partner. Right, Scott? Um, And, uh, you know, build those relationships because that could be helpful to open an opportunity in the future. Also focus on the member experience. Member satisfaction at a credit union should be the top priority and understand their needs and their preferences and make sure you give exceptional service at every touch point. That's what credit unions are. Come on. Yeah. Um, Um, Embrace innovation. We have to grow and change as times grow and change. We were talking about that earlier today that uh, while we look different than the 1920s and 30s when credit unions were chartered, um, you know, most are coming up on their hundred year, right? They're closing in on hundred years this year, credit unions in in America. And uh, you have to innovate along the way. You have to look different than you did in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. We're going to have to look different in 2050 than we do today in 2024. And so embrace innovation and harness it. Um, Develop those leadership skills, um, strong communication, decision-making, problem-solving, and emotional intelligence that is so important. And that's part of that, developing your um, capabilities as a person invest in you and invest in those leadership skills and they will take you places you never thought you could be uh, be adapted and resilient we talked about that a little bit that you just have to persist even when things are challenging and uh, we're in difficult times and they're not getting any easier um, market consolidation um, enhanced regulatory scrutiny on credit unions um, you know increased competition um, all of the technology that consumers now have and the optionality they have in the marketplace, it is going to be tough. And so we have to be willing to change and be adaptive. 
Um, and we have to be resilient and uh, navigate challenges and seize those opportunities when they rise. Um, and the last two things um, that I think are so important, um, the, the last one is, you know, number one is lead with integrity, maintain high ethical standards and lead by example. It will take you wherever you need to go. They're essential qualities for trust of members, employees, your teams, if you're leading them now or in the future, and stakeholders, membership, and decision makers. They want to be able to trust you. And so you have to lead with integrity first. And the last thing I have, uh, which I, I caught on LinkedIn, it was a video of former President Barack Obama giving advice to young leaders. And they said, you know, what advice would you give to young people today that are trying to rise and aspire to be more? And he said, get stuff done. Just get stuff done. Raise your hand, find a solution to a problem, even if it's not your own or even in your department, and people will notice you. That's the differentiating factor. Just be willing to get stuff done and do it. Man, what an awesome time talking to Emily. It was inspiring yet informative of what we actually need to do. Albrecht, what were some things that stood out to you that you think our listeners, while they're in their car, while they're at work listening to this, that they could start doing today? What's something insightful that's a practical step they can start doing? Well, I think everyone needs an Emily Lighty action figure because she is a superhero and she her, her power is in her, her positivity uh, and her poise. Like I, I believe if you were to take and Emily Lighty and put her in any kind of role, she'd be wildly successful. So we just got to count our blessings that she's in a role that impacts an entire state's worth of credit unions that equal 200 and I forget what the exact number was, but mm-hmm. it's just such a, she has such an incredible impact to the state of Ohio. And the fact that she's representing the women of the credit union movement and, and giving the, the future leaders, the emerging leaders, just so much to chew on and then but then summarizing it in such a short succinct just get stuff done i mean it was just a Mm. it was it was a great conversation scott credit unions typically provide about two weeks of training to a new teller but how much training is provided to the new manager service stars emerging leaders program addresses this gap The average manager in America gets their first management training 11 years after becoming a manager. It's time to deepen your bench. It's time to take a look at those rising stars in your credit union and identify what is the future of your credit union going to look like. Introducing Service Stars Emerging Leaders Workshop. 2024 dates are already available. We look forward to seeing your leaders and emerging deepening bench at the Emerging Leaders Workshops here at Service Star Consulting.